like you to turn to Mark chapter 3. The Gospel of Mark chapter 3. And uh, you're going to see a few other verses on the screen before we get to Mark 3. But I want you to be there because I want you to possibly mark it up as well as others uh, that you will see here in a little bit. But Mark chapter 3. I have been faithfully and diligently praying and preparing for this time. I do that every week. Before I even begin the message, let me say this. There are some messages that I feel so, so deeply about that I, I tend to pray much more. I, I think the preparation, not necessarily anymore, but the prayer. The message that I'm bringing this morning is for everyone listening. Everyone here this morning, everyone listening online or anyone listening later on to a podcast. This is for every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ and it also speaks to those who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. And we will give you an opportunity at the close of this service to respond to the Lord for salvation. You can, today can be your day of great transformation, the biggest transformation you will ever receive. And so I just feel like I need to say that, that this is, a, this is a message that relates to every person here. And so, Lord, direct us, open our hearts. Uh, I thank you for this opportunity to praise you. Uh, there's something that happens when we praise you. Our hearts are opened. As we come into your presence with our praise, then we position ourselves in, into a place where we can receive all that you have for us. And so, Lord, having done that and and having gathered together in your name and, and pushing aside some of those many distractions for some moments, we ask that you will direct us and speak to us now in these moments as we spend time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Recent weeks, before, uh, before bringing the good news of the gospel, I have, I have brought some, some bad news. Uh, I won't go into all of the detail uh, of the studies that have been done, uh, you can go back a couple of messages and hear those in detail, but the bad news quite simply is this, studies have clearly indicated that the spiritual climate of our nation, our nation right here that we live in, is cooling. The spiritual climate of our nation is in decline. You perhaps knew this, uh, if you look around the, it's interesting, isn't it? And not just interesting, it's, it's disturbing how things that were once considered, generally speaking, once considered immoral or evil are now increasingly applauded. And things that were once considered good and just are degraded, are, are mocked, are... are, are are paraded forth as something that, that is aberrant. The things that were once considered good and righteous and just are now pushed aside or degraded. And when you look at that, those are some very general terms, but when you look at the, the increase of evil and the decrease of righteousness, it's easy to look around and lay blame at a lot of different places. It's easy to blame someone or something else for this, this mess that we're in as a nation. 
Persons in leadership, they're easy targets. We can point to them and say, you know, if that person were not in a place of influence, then we wouldn't have this. Or if that person gets into it, then it will be better or worse. And, and, and it's easy to place the blame there. It's easy to place the blame on the news media and say, well, it's because of this and because of that standpoint. It's easy to do that low-hanging fruit. Social media, that's an easy target, isn't it? Say, you know, if we didn't have this, and boy, then, then things would be better. But, but this is why this has happened. It's easy to blame the social media. It's easy to blame any number of things uh, this group or that group or the economy or the good economy or the bad economy or the, the systems that we have in place. It's easy to do that. But First Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And I brought that scripture a couple of weeks ago. In fact, I brought it every week. Let me read it to you again. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. What that means is that while we look around, it's very easy to lay blame at the, at the feet of someone or something else and, 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 and become so distracted by that that we fail to look at ourselves and say, what are we doing or what are we not doing as a body of believers, as the people of God in our nation and around the world at this time, what are we doing? It calls for some self-analysis. It calls for us to take a microscope or, or at least a magnifying glass and look carefully at ourselves and say, Lord, is there something that I'm doing or is there something that I'm failing to do that has contributed to the problems that we have in our world? It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So we've asked some very hard questions. We've asked some very hard questions. It causes us to ask hard questions. Or I hope that you ask a hard questions. A, a question like this. Is part of the problem because we, the followers of Christ, have neglected our calling? Is part of the problem that we fail to understand the authority that God has given us if we are followers of Jesus Christ? Let me just pause there for a moment. Do you know, you don't, this is rhetorical, you don't have to answer out loud. Do you know that Jesus has given you authority as his follower? If, you're, if the name of Jesus is upon you, do you know that you have authority to speak things and they will be done? Do you know that? Do you know to which, that thing to which God has called you? that he has impressed upon you, that he has gifted you with? Ha have you answered your calling or is part of the problem because we have failed in what God has called us to do as a body of believers. Is this cooling spiritual climate due? In part, because we've been distracted from our God-given mission by lesser things. I have to ask this very hard question. It's easy to blame others. And in, and in so doing, we, 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 just, we, we point fingers and we say, it's that, it's that, it's that, it's that. And we fail to ask these hard questions. Uh, somebody put it this way. This is it's too smart for me to come up with this on my own. But somebody, somebody said, we're, we're too often the, the church now, the, the body of Christ, the, 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 the called of God, too often we're the thermometer in the room rather than the thermostat in the room. Too often we simply reflect what the temperature is and we comment on it. That's what a thermometer does. It says, well, this is what the temperature in the room. But a thermostat is something that, that, that affects the change of the temperature in the room. 
And as God's people, we are called not simply to be the the thermometer in the room that adjusts ourselves accordingly to whatever the room is like or to comment on it, but rather that we are the people of God who are called, who are commissioned, who are authorized by Jesus himself to say, I'm going to make a difference in my world. Those are hard statements. But I don't want us to be so distracted by all of the blame game, rather we need to look at ourselves and say, all right, what do we need to do? And so two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I began sharing about getting serious, about getting serious. And I shared how we must first get serious about the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to get serious again about the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me be very clear on this. This is not to say that some people are not. Some people, I mean, it's, it's, it's so precious, but many believers have, have failed in their seriousness about the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 says this, We preach Christ crucified. And how to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. What are we all about I pointed out before that the cross to, your, to the right of the platform as you're sitting there, that cross is not there by accident. It's not simply a symbol. It's not just a, a decoration, but a declaration. We lift up the name of Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we might have a place in heaven, so that we can be forgiven of the sins that were taking us straight to hell. We lift up the cross of Christ because He is the only hope for the world today. And if we think that they, if we somehow think that 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 the answer, that the hope, that 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 that, that the, the 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 answer for the challenges of our world is in anyone else or in anything else, then we've lost. We can do all of those other things, but there's only hope in Jesus' name. We need to get serious about the cross. That person that you know, that person that you love, that person that you work with, the person that you study beside, the number one question about their life is not are they this, that, this opinion, that opinion, but rather are you lost or are you saved? Have you experienced the cross of Jesus Christ? We need to get serious. We need to get serious about the cross of Christ. That's what our world needs to hear. They don't care about your opinion. I'll tell you what's going to change them is the Savior that you serve when He becomes their Savior. Last week, we saw how Jesus called people then and now to walk with Him to be His disciples. We're called to be His disciples. We, we didn't simply come to Christ and, 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 then, and, and surrender our lives to Him and become a convert but rather he calls us to be his disciples, his close followers, people that are changed by him. We're to take our walk with him seriously. We are called to take our walk with him seriously, that we live differently because he is our Lord. Let me just comment. I'm not going to preach the same message, but is your life different because you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Or is there really no measurable difference between the way that you were before Christ and the, and the way that you are now after accepting Jesus Christ. Because if, if, if our lives have not changed, then I really have to question, are we really a disciple? Are, 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 can the difference that Jesus has made in our life, can it be observed over the course of time? 
Maybe not in the first week or in the first month, but in time. Uh, I'm concerned that there are people who surrendered their lives to Christ decades ago, but they've not grown in the Lord. They've They've not understood that we're called to walk with Him and be changed by Him in that walk. I'm concerned that people are still infant children infant Christians uh, because they gave their hearts to Jesus but never understood the importance of discipleship. So these are hard questions. In your Bibles, now again, you, I ask you to turn there in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 verse 14 kind of tags off on this, this understanding of discipleship. It says, And Jesus appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. See, Mark chapter 3, we were in Mark chapter 1 last week, and it was when Jesus began calling his disciples. He started with uh, two fishermen, and and then it records two more fishermen, and then it goes to a tax collector. Well, this is at the very end of that. This is after he had called all 12 of his initial disciples, these initial disciples. So this is at the very end of that process. The 12 are now in place. The 12 first disciples are in place. And that line, I want you to notice that line with him. It says, Jesus appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. That that two-word statement, that with him, is the essence of discipleship. His people with him before doing something for him. Do you see the process there? His people with him before doing something for him. They belonged to him before they were sent by him. That right there, that line, is the essence of discipleship. We spend time with Jesus. He changes us. He empowers us. He equips us. He calls us. He, he, he deals with all of the junk in our lives. We are with Him, and because we're with Him, we're changed, and then we are used by Him. We belong to Him. We're with Him. And then we do something for Him, or we're sent by Him. There's two other words, though, and you know you read a, a statement like that. In fact, it, 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 it's understandable if you overlook a couple of very key words in that text in front of you. I want you to also notice two other words, the words they and them. They and them. It says, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out. You see, those two words, uh, speaking of a collective group of people, we know the number, it's 12. Those two words mean that when the disciples began following Jesus, they also began doing life together. Let me say that again. When the disciples began following Jesus, they also began doing life together. It wasn't simply, uh, I belong to Jesus and I don't care about the rest of you guys. It's when we began to follow Jesus, we also became a part of a group. In this case, it was the group of the first disciples. But, but when they began following Jesus, they also began doing life together. 
You see, Jesus taught them, and you can read through the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read through them, and you can see the things that Jesus taught, but they learned much of what Jesus taught with each other. For example, Jesus taught them how to pray, and then they would pray together. Uh, Jesus taught them how to serve, and then they would serve together. Jesus taught them that in one key spot, he, 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 he gave them authority to heal and the authority to cast out demons. He told them that this was theirs, but then he sent them out in groups as small as two people. He, he sent them out as a group. He sent them out together, and what he taught them, they learned together. They learned with each other, and then they did it together. He taught them how to forgive, and I promise you that in three years, 12 people together, he not only taught them to forgive, but he gave them the opportunity to forgive each other. You know that they did. I, I promise you that you put 12 people uh, on a road trip uh, for three years, and I'll tell you what, there's going to be opportunity to forgive someone else. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You go, and some of you are thinking, yeah, it wouldn't take three years. There are some people that I know, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we were on a road trip, I'd have to forgive them by Ipswich. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're there, let's just face it. When we do life together, Jesus taught them about grace, but then together they operated or they, they used the grace that he taught them and he gave them. And so it is with us. When we come to him, we come together. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you didn't simply sign up and your name is on a roster someplace in heaven. No, it's that you came also, you became a part of a family, a gathering of believers. We call that the church. And by that, I don't mean a brick building with a spire on top. I don't mean a, a, a beautiful wooden structure with a, with a steeple at one end. I, I, I don't mean a structure or a gathering place. I'm talking about when we gave our lives to Jesus, we began doing life together. It's very important that we understand that. Therefore, we need to get serious about our walk together. We need to, as followers of Jesus Christ today, if you've surrendered your life to Him, we need to get serious about our walk with Christ together. But I have to be straight with you. Many people who claim to follow Jesus Christ today are not all that serious about a commitment to other believers. They will say, I love Jesus. I love Him. I'm a follower of Him. I have been forgiven of my sins and I'm on my way to heaven. Hallelujah. And that's all true. But many, many would say, but I'm not all that committed. If they were to be really honest, they would have to say, I'm not that committed to other people who are also on this journey. I, I, I belong to him, but I don't really know if I belong with others. Or if they've not said it, they've lived it. <laughs> One of those first 12 disciples. Um, it doesn't say this, so this is conjecture. Please understand. 
But I believe if one of those first disciples would have said to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you, but I won't associate with them. I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't have been a disciple for very long. You see, Jesus, Jesus by design did not call these people and then say to to James, um, James, you're on from 9 o'clock Monday morning until 11. John, 11 to 1. Peter, uh, from, from uh, 3 to 5. Uh, uh, Andrew, uh, I'm taking you all day tomorrow. It wasn't like that. He, he called them to himself, but in coming to him, they were also called together. This was how it was supposed to be. God had a purpose in this. Jesus had a plan for this. Years later, long after the events of Mark 3 were recorded, or long after the events of Mark 3 happened, um, Hebrews chapter 10 was written to believers. In fact, go ahead and turn there. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to, to be there as well. Hebrews 10 was written to believers to people who are following Christ together. So please understand that. If you read, in fact, you read much of the New Testament, it was written uh, to a gathering of believers, uh, a church, uh, a gathering in a certain community or region or group. In this case, these, this was written to, to people who had been raised in Judaism, people who understood all of the, the great heritage and history of Judaism, uh, but who had come to Christ. So please understand that before we read, this was written to Christians. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. It says here that we walk this journey together. It says when we walk this journey together, we are, first of all, it says we are to consider one another. See it right there at the very beginning. Let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. What does that mean? What does consider mean? Well, it, it, the opposite of consider would be inconsiderate, right? We, we kind of know what that means. It means that inconsiderate means that we're really not thinking about anything or anyone else. We're only thinking of ourselves, to consider means to regard another even more than yourself. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it's talking about the example that Jesus gave us. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Hear that again. It says, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. To, as it says here in Hebrews 10, to consider one another means that I regard your thoughts, your concerns, even more than mine. Now, if they're contrary to Scripture, of course not. But, but I, I regard you and your needs as even greater than my own. That's consideration. Well, I've seen that. I've seen some, 
some amazing people who are so considerate. They, they, they are not concerned so much about themselves, but they're very concerned about other people. It says we're called to do this. Let us consider one another. And then it goes on and it says, when we do this, it says that when we do this, love is stirred up and good works happen. See, here's my concern. When we gather together, not just here on Sunday morning at 10.30 or 9.30 or Wednesday night or any of the men's breakfast on Saturday morning or a women's Bible, regardless of when or where we gather, uh, I, 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 I want us to understand that when we do this, we are con- to consider each other, and, and that it's not just about my needs, but it's about your needs. It's about, it's about your well-being. When we do this, love is stirred up and good things happen. And I'm really concerned that when people are inconsiderate, when they think more about themselves, then if, if love is stirred up when we are considering others than when we are not considering others, I wonder how much love has been stopped and how many good works do not happen. I wonder what happens when people say, you know, this is my opinion, I'm going to hold to it, and I don't really care about you. That, that, that this is how I like things and, and, and this is how I want things and, and, and this is what I expect. This is a part of my history. This is the kind of thing that I like. This is the kind of things that I do. And so it's paramount to what you need. We do that. There are going to be some bad things that happen. It also says that when we walk this journey together, we are to exhort one another. Now, that's, that's a word, and I don't remember the last time in just regular conversation that I used the word exhort. Um, what it means is we build each other up. We build each other up. And uh, it, it means that when we look at someone, because we're in fellowship, because we're walking this journey together, that I understand one of the important things that God has called me to do is to build someone up in their faith. This is where it's challenging for me because I could go on at length from my own experience the times that other people have built me up in the faith. I could give countless examples of how Jesus has built things into me, but he did it through another person. That man who's now with Jesus, he's, if he were still alive, he'd be over 100 years old. He was an older man when I was a boy, and he took time for me, and he built up my faith. I'm here today in part because of that. I remember that man who, when I first began pastoring, and I thought, what have I gotten myself into? I'm in way over my head. Uh, I'm, I'm scared to death, and I, I, I think I made a mistake. And, and I think of that man who, who exhorted me during that time and who made a difference. And the fact is that I'm, I'm here today because somebody took the time to build me. I remember the times of great discouragement. I, I remember those times where I, I was just so low that I just wanted to quit. I would not quit the ministry, but I I would just quit doing what God called me to do in that moment because I was hurting so bad. And I remember how that person exhorted me, how they built me up, not flattered me, 
just built me up. Think back in your own life. Think of the people that have had such an influence upon you. It says that we are to exhort one another. We are to build each other. It's one of the reasons why we come together. You see, you need to understand that when we, this thing that we call church, this thing that we call the gathering of believers, it's not simply for you to come, check the box, and then leave. It is for you to be built up by someone else, and it is for you to build up someone else. That when we are called onto this journey together, we are here to strengthen one another. Yesterday morning, I was sitting there, I purposely sat at a certain part where I could see the entire group and had a whole bunch of men there and I'm looking around the room and I saw brothers there who have made such a difference in my life and I don't think they even knew it. People that have, by their example, by their example showed me what it was to live for Jesus at that particular age. There are people around, the, around those tables that I've known for years. There are some there that I've known for just a short time, but just the very fact that they're growing in Jesus encourages me and builds me up. See, that's what happens. And if we, if we start thinking, you know, all I need is Jesus. All I need to do is just my own thing. I gave my heart to Jesus. That's enough. But I don't really need to associate with others. Then we're failing to do what Hebrews chapter 10 calls us to do. And that is, if we just check in, check out, don't, become, don't share life with anyone else, then we are failing to do what God called us to do. We're not building each other up. But we're called to. We're called to. I don't want to single her out. I'm not going to mention her name, but a sister shared in Connecting Point this morning. It just blessed me so much. She shared how, how you know, the, the, the natural inclination of hers was just to, just to pull back and not, not be out front, not be heard, not be seen. But God called her to something else, and so she, she shared how, how, how God has used her. And I say, glory to God. So It's so easy to just pull back into our own insecurities and pull back out of fear and say, I'm not going to do that. And, and, in, and when we do that, we fail to exhort. We fail to consider others. Let me tell you again. You were not called on this journey just to follow Jesus, but when you were called to follow Jesus, and when you began following Jesus, you're supposed to start doing life together with other believers. We're called to that. We're called to that. We need to be serious about that. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this. Speaking to my fellow believers, my fellow disciples, we cannot fulfill what the Bible calls us to do and to be without a commitment to one another. Understand the gravity of that statement. We cannot fulfill what the Bible calls us to do and to be without a commitment to one another. When we get serious about our walking together, we consider one another. We build up one another. We forgive one another. We restore one another. That's why it grieves me. I shared this, I think, two weeks ago. It grieves me when I hear somebody say, I will not forgive them. Then what you've done is you've taken yourself out of a place of grace. You've taken yourself out of restoration. And you cannot build that person up if you hold something against them. You can't consider them if all you're thinking about is yourself. This too is very important. Let me, let me add this. When we get serious about walking with Christ together, we will accomplish more together 
than we would accomplish alone. When we get serious about walking with Christ together, we will accomplish more than we would have when we accomplished alone. Let me give you a really big word. All right, you ready for this? This is, this, is, this, is, this is not a $10 word, but it's a good $750 word. All right, here it is. It's the word synergy, S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y, synergy. It's almost like energy, but it's synergy. Synergy is this very highfalutin, but it's, it's a great word because synergy is when two or more organisms interact and cooperate and they accomplish far more together than what they could accomplish individually. This is a, actually, this is used in physics all the time. Uh, if one person were lifting a weight, say on a pulley, you could lift, let's say, a, a 200 pounds on a pulley, probably more than that. You could pull 200 pounds, and then you put another person uh, uh, pulling, you would think, well, two people could actually, at their strongest, pull then 400 pounds. But actually, no. Because they're pulling together, they can actually lift up much more than that. So synergy means that when two or more organisms begin working together and cooperating together, then it's not we add our efforts to one another, but we multiply our efforts when we come together. Synergy. That's what synergy is. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 speaks of synergy. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Somebody wisely observed that the third chord in that, the third part of that chord is, is, is God himself. And I, yes, the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when two people gather together and they say, we're going to trust God together, then, then God says, I'm going to bless that. I'm going to give a powerful spiritual synergy and they're going to accomplish more together than they would have ever done alone. Matthew chapter 18 verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, if two, or, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them in my Father, uh, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. That is a spiritual synergy. You want to see something happen that could not happen otherwise, and that is agree to an with another brother or sister in prayer. Come together with a group of people and say, together we're going to accomplish more than we could have ever accomplished by ourselves. See, that's, that's one of the reasons why Jesus called those disciples together. Why, in calling them to himself, he also called them to do life together. It's why when you came to Jesus Christ, it wasn't just you and Jesus and no one else, but rather it's you and Jesus and millions of others, and when we gather together, powerful things happen. Spiritual synergy. You read through the Gospels. With the exception of some prayer times, Jesus almost always had people with him during his three years of public ministry. Almost always. They were together in a boat. They were together in a garden. They were together on a mountain. They were together in people's homes. They were together in the marketplace. They were together in the synagogue. Jesus modeled spiritual synergy by bringing people together. 
He knew this. He understood this because he knew that for us to go the distance, we would need each other. Let me say that again. For us to go the distance, we need each other. Let me say it again because some of you may not have heard it the first two times. For us to go the distance, we need each other. We need each other. Back to Hebrews 10 again. Hebrews 10 again says this. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Now listen to this next part. It says, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Which begs the question, what does the day mean? It's capitalized. Capitalized in my Bible, probably capitalized in your Bible. What, what, what does it mean by the day? Well, it quite simply means this, the day of Jesus' return. Or the day that we see him face to face. Some commentators say it's, it's talking about Jesus' return, his triumphal return, or, or it's talking about when we go and we see him. Either way, either way, the day is rapidly approaching. Either Jesus is going to return or we're going to go see him in death. But I'll tell you what, the day is rapidly approaching. And it says here, so much more so as you see the day approaching. See here, I, I don't know. I don't know when we are going to see Jesus face to face. I don't know. A lot of people are saying, well, th this is it. I mean, he's coming back in October. He's coming back in November. And, you know, I just, I don't, I, 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 that really bothers me when people start giving some of those dates. Can Jesus come back? Absolutely. <laughs> it's great with me. That fixes everything. He may come back before we're done with this service. Glory to God. I don't know when, but I do know this. I know that the enemy wants to stop us from walking this journey with other believers before that day. He wants to. Satan wants to stop you from walking the journey with other believers. Let me say it again. Satan wants you to stop walking the journey with other believers. Satan's methodology. From the very beginning. From the very beginning. Satan's methodology has always been to divide or separate God's people from each other. Remember Adam? God says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. Let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's create a helpmate for him, and he created Eve. It was God's plan to bring two people together. Started with that, of course. To bring two people together became many, many more. But started with those two people. But, you know, look a little bit further into what chapter 3 of Genesis. It says that, 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 that Satan came to Eve alone. He didn't come to them together. Why? Because he knew that together they, they would be more powerful, but alone he could do some things and he could tempt. That, that's a, from the very beginning, it has always been Satan's plan to, to divide or to separate God's people from each other. It happens all the time. People get upset at someone else, and so they say, well, I'm done. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And they make these blanket statements. Well, that church is just all this, and then they leave, and they sometimes go someplace else, but more often than not, they go nowhere else. And, and, and the enemy wins. There are people who, 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 who say, well, it's, 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 this, is, this is what I want, and, and if I don't want it, then I'm going to separate, and, 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 and hearts break. There, there are people who are, who are distracted by some kind of besetting sin. Something is unconfessed, and so they get off, and they get bound by that, and they get pulled away, and they become spiritually cold, and, and before you know it, they're far from Christ. 
Why? Because that's the, that's the enemy's MO. He de- desires to separate and divide and pull people away and defeat them. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. See, I look at that and I say, yeah, boy, it's hard. And, 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 I, and I see all of this. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not. In fact, I, I run from it. If, if you come up with a conspiracy theory, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of probably walk away. But you think that the enemy isn't using the closing down of churches the, the stopping, the gap, you, you think the enemy's just going to say, well, I have nothing to do with that. He has a whole lot to do with that. Why? Because separate, we're, we're not as strong as we are when we're together. I'm not faulting anyone. I, we need to be cautious. I, I get all of that. I'm simply saying that there's a bigger issue here. The enemy wants to separate but one way or another, one believer from another believer, one person, of, of, a disciple from another disciple. He wants to do that, and he will use any means within his ability to do that. But the gates of hell, Jesus said. I, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a reason why you're a part of a body of believers. This is not just a place where you come, show up, walk out, and then never reconnect with another believer again. If you do that, you're failing what Jesus called you to do. Because we are to consider one another. We are to build each other. We are to exhort one another. We're to pray for one another. How in the world can you pray for someone if you're not in fellowship with them? How can you do that? How can your heart break with them if you don't know about them or care about them? How can you ever grow together if you will not go on this journey with other believers? I feel so deeply about this, not because I'm a pastor. I I did the math and I realized I've been a pastor, a lead pastor, over half of my life. It's a long time. But before that, I was a part of a body of believers all of my life before that. I see the value of what happens. I see how people are changed and challenged and how they grow because we come together. Not just in a time like this, but in people's homes, around a kitchen table, sitting around a patio in someone's backyard doing life together, going on missions trips together, doing all of these things together, sitting together in a Bible study, reading God's Word together. I see the value of that. One believer calls up another believer. This morning again, someone said, this person changed my life over the last year. I said, that's the gospel. Because when he calls us to himself, he calls us together. Whether you've been a part of AFA for a week or for a lifetime, I want you to have a sense of belonging. Come on, I really want you to have a sense of belonging. If you don't, there's something wrong. First of all, I want you to belong to Him. Of all, that's where it all begins. We, we come to Him, we surrender our lives to Him. 
wants you to have a sense of belonging, belonging to him. And because you belong to him, we belong then together. That you understand that, that it's a part of the deal. And because we're together, Jesus uses us to change each other, to consider one another, to exhort, to build up one another. And because we're together, we will, through the power of his Holy Spirit, accomplish so much more. Speaking to the church, speaking to the gathering of believers, God has a plan and God has a purpose. And he doesn't want to just use you uh, individually. He wants to use you with someone else. I mean, we look at the world around us. We look at the world around us and we're just going, there's a part of me that just says, Lord, just come quickly. But then I go, no, there's lost people. I mean, he's not going to listen to Gary Wildman. Okay, Gary says I can come, then I can come. It's not like that. Uh, But there's a part of me that says, Lord, hold off a little bit more because there's lost people to reach. Jesus is the answer for the world today. And he does it through his gathering of believers, through his disciples. And he uses us together. I don't want you to look at the people of this room, and there's many who are not a part of this fellowship who are not a part of this room. But I, don't, I want you to look at them and, and say, they're not just that person who attends my church, but that's my brother and my sister in Christ. I want you to look at that person that may attend another church and say, well, we're not together because they're in another church. No, no, we're, we're together. We're, we're doing this together. A week from tonight, we're going to be gathering with some other churches in the community. We're going to be praying together. I love that because we're doing this together. Hear me. Satan doesn't want it. He'll, he'll, he'll bring anything to divide, to separate to turn one disciple against another. But I'm saying, don't you let it happen. God has a greater plan. I'd like you to stand with me, please. We're come to a very holy moment. And uh, we're going to close this service in just a moment. Before we do, though, I mentioned that, first of all, I want you to belong to him. With your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed in this very, very important time, I, I, I want to, first of all, give this invitation I want, uh, if, if you have not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, you've not surrendered your life to Him and received that free gift of salvation to where you know, man, if I were to die right now, I'd go to, I, I don't know where I'd go, heaven or hell. Well, that, that, those are only the, the only two destinations, um, but you can know. So if there's anyone here, before we close, is there anyone here, I could pray with you and we could pray together and, and you would begin to follow Him, that you would belong to Him. Is there anyone here today? Before we before we go any, this is very important. Just just lift up your hands if if that's you and, and catch my eye and I want to pray with you, in the balcony. In the main level here, is there anyone here? Thank you, thank you. All right, I want you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, even right where you are, if you pray this along, would you would you pray this? Even if you prayed it a long time ago, would you pray this very simple prayer with me, but especially the person, the persons who raised their hand? Uh, Lord Jesus, I realize that you died on the cross for me. 
Today I give my life to you. Come into my heart and forgive my sins. I receive the free gift that you have given me. Today I become yours. And in coming to you, I also come into fellowship with others. Thank you for saving me today, changing my life today, changing my eternal destiny today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time uh, and, and really believe that, then today you belong to him. And now I want to pray over you because we belong together. Um, I know that some of you are, are uh, rightfully concerned, so in other situations I'd have you hold hands with the person next to you, but, but uh, if you're open to it, would you, can we do that? If you're next to a family member, or just go ahead and take their hand and and, and if not, that's fine. Just, just let me pray with you. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters that we're on this journey together. Now, Lord, may the truths of your word not quickly leave us, but may the things that you have spoken to us by your Holy Spirit bring them back to us again and again. That it's not just my church that I somewhat identify with, but that's a body of believers that I'm called to be a part of and I'm there to consider others and I'm there to build up others. So I pray this. Jesus, thank you for the brothers and sisters that I have, the fellow disciples who are on this journey with me. Some who are listening, some who are watching, some who are right here. But I thank you, Lord. I commit them to you. We have a world to change. Thank you, Lord, for using us to that end. We do it for your glory to the extension of your kingdom. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. As always, these altars are open if you want to come and spend more time in prayer. But God bless you as you go in the presence and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.